All right, welcome to this workshop. It is called Sin Is Not Well. My name is Mary. I'm a recovering overeater. Um, before we begin, please turn off your cell phones. This workshop is being taped. All opinions expressed by those who share are their own and not necessarily those of OA as a whole. The format for this session is a reading. Four speakers and an basket basket will have to be quick. A basket with paper and pencils will be circulated for you to write any questions you may have to the, for the speakers and specify uh, for whom your question is for. Our reading is from The Voices of Recovery, page 258. This is that reading. Many of us tried fasting with and without a doctor's supervision. Usually we lost weight, but as soon as we started eating again, the compulsive eating behavior returned along with the weight. That's from the 12 Steps and 12 Traditions of OA, page 10. I think back to my college days when I was down to, eat, to eating only one small meal a day and exercising like a maniac. I was the thinnest I have ever been. I think about the perceived power I felt like I was winning the war with my body. But then I asked myself if I were happy. The answer surprised me. Those were some of the loneliest, unhappiest days of my life. It is very easy to forget that being thin is not the answer to my problems, and starving myself is not the quick fix. I want it to be. There are no quick fixes. The way to truly be a winner is by following a healthy plan of eating and working the steps every day. Our first speaker is going to be Katie. Oh, okay. I don't know how to turn it on. Would anybody like to listen to Tucker? She's going to go get somebody to turn it on. Is this it? Oh. oh, wait. Is that better? Is that better? So we're speaking for 10 minutes? Yeah. Okay. Hi, I'm Katie. I'm a compulsive overreader. And it's a real privilege for me to be able to share my story with you today. Uh, it's what helps me, you know, the gift of abstinence. I've got to give it away in order to keep it. Um, and just, it's not on still? Is that better? Okay, great. I'll start again. Hi, I'm Katie. I'm a compulsive overeater. It's great to be here. Um, my obsession with food goes back as far as I can remember. I knew from a young age that I was different with food, that I was abnormal. I'd go to a children's party and my friends would be interested in the games and I'd be interested in what was on the food table and I couldn't leave. I wanted more and wanting more pretty much sums up my eating. I just always wanted more. Um, I started restricting my eating when I was about 12 and I loved the feeling of control, of being thin, I loved my bones sticking out and just the attention I got from people. Um, so that obsession, you know, that phase of my eating was, you know, I loved it. But my parents weren't so happy about my anorexic phase, so they sent me to healthcare professionals. And, and I started eating a little bit more, so everyone thought I was normal, because I looked normal. But the secret for me just became deeper. I, I always remember having a secret kind of nature. They call it Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, but... It became very pronounced at that time. I had this secret inside of me and um, I was just constantly trying to beat it on my own. Nobody knew how bad my eating obsession was. 
time. So I went on my merry way. I got my gym memberships. I ran track. I did sports. Loved exercise. Loved, loved, loved exercise. I actually um, have got this condition now called Raynaud's disease, and it's when you've got really bad circulation. And that was because I would do things like get up in the morning and the frost and snow and go running and my didn't have enough blood circulation to my toes. So anyway, it's caused a permanent circulation problem. Um, so I was crazy about exercise and you know it was interesting the reading we did where it talked about thin is not necessarily well. But that was not my MO prior to coming to OA. All I wanted to do was to be thin and live happily ever after. I had a lot of resentments against people who were thin. It wasn't fair. My best friend, she's thin and gorgeous and I just thought you know, if only I could be like her, if only. And and that was my life obsession, was trying to be somebody I wasn't. I was trying to control my eating, trying to control, enjoy my eating. And I did so many different things. And most of it was in secret. Um, my family didn't really know. When I started vomiting, um, my family found out. And that was pretty humiliating. My brother was like, how disgusting. Why don't you just exercise a little more and eat a little less. And I was like, yeah, that's a great idea. Why don't I do that? Um, so, you know, I too was disgusted with myself. And I never called myself a bulimic because to be bulimic, you have to vomit three times a week or something like that. I read it in a magazine, so it must be true. And I didn't vomit that many times. I might vomit five times a day, but it was just today. It was a bad day, right? I'm not really bulimic because you have to do it for, I don't know, maybe six months. And I've only been doing it for a year. So, you know, whatever. It was just all this craziness in my head, the rationalizing of what I was doing. Um, and I was just going to do it just this once because I was just a bit of a pig just this once, right? Um, and, you know, I had periods. This disease is very cunning, baffling. I had per- periods of control but it was followed by still less control. Um, and that towards the end of my eating, I was completely out of control. I would lock myself in the house and binge around the clock, call the pizza guy, go out, get more food. Um, and, it, you know, we talk about pitiful, incomprehensible demoralization, and that's when my eating took me. I was 19 when I came to OA, and it got bad enough for me at that time. And, you know, thank God... I was working in a cafe, of course, um, having a good food obsession, and I would white-knuckle it. I would do things like drink five cups of coffee with maybe a latte, skim milk, and then and then come the end of my shift, if I did the weekend, there'd be all this leftover food. And so I was having massive binges, and I would roll home after vomiting three times. So it was a horrible way to live. And what amazes me is the delusional thinking. Like, I could not differentiate the true from the false. I did not know that normal people do not live like this. Um, and just thinking that, you know, I would I would beat it. I'm not really a bulimic. You know, there were people in my high school, they were bulimic, but I'm not like them. Um, so when I came to Overeaters Anonymous, um, I tried to get abstinence. And just like I tried every other diet, I was always trying. I, I heard it said in a meeting, and I, this describes me so perfectly, I'd try myself into the grave. You know, I try, I try, I try, but I kept failing. And, and that happened to me in OA as well. Um, it wasn't until I met my current sponsor. Um, she's been my sponsor for 15 years now. And she had recovery. 
and she had freedom from the obsession and she carried a very strong message to me and it wasn't one I'd heard in a way prior to her sharing it to me. And that was I could be free of my food addiction if I was willing to put down the food. And exactly the same way as an Alcoholics Anonymous, I need to put down the food. So that meant giving up my control, my, my old ideas. Because one of my old ideas was I need to exercise. And she said I had to give up exercise. Ooh, now I could give up the food. I want to give up the food, right? But I did not want to give up my control when it came to the exercise. So when I say give up the exercise, it meant no running, no going to the gym, none of that stuff. I, you know, I did some walking and today I do some yoga. But And my sponsor at the time, she played tennis and she played squash, but she was 15 years off the food. So I, I knew that, you know, being active was healthy part of recovery, but in order to give up the food, I had to give up all my old ideas about exercise. Um, so in the beginning, it was cold turkey pretty much. Um, so giving up giving up my control with the food um, was a big part of it and giving up my old ideas and my control. So as a result of that conversation with my sponsor, I had a spiritual feeling of hope and a spiritual feeling of truth, that what she said was my truth. I'm a compulsive overeater. This disease wants to kill me and if I want to be well, then recovery has to be the most important part of my life. And just step two and three basically there is a power greater than me and I I want to I want to do this I want to do the rest of the steps I want to follow this path and I want to be free and you know thank God for that and you know I'd like to tell you that I put down the food from there and lived happily ever after but it took me more beating down um, you know I, we say half measures of Alice nothing and my experience is 95% measures of me nothing I was doing service I had a sponsor I put up, I put down the food, but I still had a few old ideas, and one of them was lack of discipline. You know, it says in, in our literature, we compulsive overeaters are undisciplined, and that's me for sure, definitely. I've got a really undisciplined mind, so I didn't like eating my meals on time. <laughs> so the story goes, I um, had a class that I was in college, and the class finished at 1 p.m. Went from 12 to 1. And I didn't want to wait till 1 to have my lunch. So I had my lunch at, say, 11.30. And then it's like, oh, well, I've got a few things to do. So I had my lunch at 11. And then one day I ate my whole food plan at breakfast. <laughs> and then I didn't eat anything with the rest of the day. But my sponsor, and just to say, she said I picked up the first one. So having the discipline of meals on time was, was an old idea for me. That took me time. And the other one was giving up my obsession with men. It's like, yeah, I can trust God with all my with my care of my life, but I don't quite think he's got this under control, so let me go chasing whoever I want to go chasing. So that meant going across the country because I was in love with someone. Well, then I'd do that, and then my food plan got screwed up and I picked up the food. So anyway, there were just a few old ideas that I was still hanging on to, and so my experience is I've got to give my life. When it says give my will and my life over to God, that means everything. And um, So then I had to get active um, and Overeaters Anonymous, and I continue to love Overeaters Anonymous today, love the freedom, the fact that I wake up in the morning and I don't think about food and I'm not obsessed with my body weight. I'm, you know, I've been the same size for years and it's not an obsession today. And I, it took time to, for that to change. 
Um, but I just kind of would tell myself every time, you know, my mind would get into self-obsession. You know, that's just self, you know, get out of self, try and help someone else. Um, or, you know, do the next thing in front of you, the contrary action. Um, so over time, with just living that way and going to meetings and listening to people, you know, I'd, I no longer think in that way. And, and thank God, you know, I was, I was in the restroom today and I thought, it's such a miracle to not have to make myself sick in a public restroom. That is the most <laughs> humiliating thing, you know, that I did. And just, you know, just to remember that and to look at how we can be free and we can have a new life, um, not having to compulsively overeat one day at a time. Um, it's a good deal. It's a good way to do life. And just in closing, you know, one of the miracles for me of recovery is is getting married and being in a loving and supportive um, marriage and, you know, my my husband wasn't really a big supporter of the idea of having a sponsor. He was supportive of me going to meetings and he knew right from the start, so I'm stuck, okay, that, okay, that um, recovery is the most important thing to me. So he always knew where he was going to be on the totem pole. He was never going to be on the top, right? But he didn't quite get the idea of sponsorship because he's a do-it-yourself kind of man. You know, if you want something done, you, you do it yourself. So he didn't get this idea of how do we go to another human being for guidance. And, and then we went to New Zealand. My sponsor's actually in New Zealand still. And we stayed with her. And she has such grace in her life and such power. You know, she helps a lot of people. Um, and through staying with her for those few days, you know, he came to appreciate the gift of having her in my life. And then he would say to me, he became a convert after that. He was like, you know what, you having a, good, you having a sponsor is a good deal for me because you call your sponsor and 95% of the time it works out well for me because she would tell me to behave myself or to, you know, just get on with it or whatever that is that I'm getting stuck on. So, you know, having a sponsor is a great deal and just this whole program is, you know, I get to do these simple things and then I get to be free. Um, and that's a miraculous gift for someone who, you know, spent a lot of time with my head down the toilet. So it's good to be here. It's good to be off the third. Thank you. Hi, I'm Marilyn, a recovering compulsive overeater, bulimic vomiter. And I remember when my sponsor told me that I needed to say I was a bulimic vomiter. And I said, well, when do I, when do I get to stop saying that? I had been doing it for a while. And I was really uncomfortable at first, but, you know, it was so important to have discipline. And um, so I did what she said. And... Uh, she said, I can stop it when I'm comfortable. Um, and she's, and it's not that I'm not comfortable. I am comfortable and I can share that because I've gone to other meetings where I've shared I was a vomiter and someone's come up to me at break time and said, thanks for sharing that because I thought I was in the wrong place. And um, I'm just so grateful uh, for this program. I came to uh, Overeaters Anonymous about, um, oh, maybe 38 years ago, and I lost weight. I lost 100 pounds real fast, six months, and uh, but I didn't work the steps. And um, I remember people asking, what step are you on? I said, what step are you on? If they were on three, I'm on three. If they were on six, I was on six. I didn't even know what steps were, 
But anyhow, I left I left OA because I uh, there wasn't enough men. There was more at AA, so uh, you know. And then there were even sicker in NA, so that I had to go there too. Uh, but you know, and then I decided that um, I wasn't a compulsive overeater. I didn't have a problem, and I wanted to eat, and I did eat. And so then I had the surgery because I was looking for a softer eater. The way I wanted. Um, I wanted to be able to eat and be thin, and uh, I thought, that's the answer. So in 1982, I had the surgery on my stomach, and I lost like 163 pounds, and I was uh, a size 12 for five minutes, and then I was on my way back up, and that's when the bulimia started. And, um, you know... uh, when you go to AA meetings and they start giving a drunk a log, they start telling about how much they drank, and how, I said, I'm, I don't have to do a food a log. Uh, but I know that, um, you know, that was my experience. I, uh, you know, the doctors would tell me not to eat certain things. And I'd, I'd say, okay, and then I'd go eat them. I was always testing and uh, or rebellious, whatever you want to call it. And then I would eat it, and I'd get sick. I tried all kinds of ways. I had this hole they would get plugged, and um, there was all kinds of things suggested to me to uh, to relieve this. And one of them was meat tenderizers. So then I got the meat tenderizer and put liquid in, and I'd take that soda and plug my hole. It worked a little bit. Then after it didn't work because I was eating things I wasn't supposed to. So then I'd have to go in the hospital. I got very, very sick from the surgery. Um, the other thing was uh, I would drink beer because that would help, but that blew my AA thing. Um, I was medication. You know, I, I have an excuse for everything. Uh, and then I um, I just found out that if I made myself vomit, get rid of it, I could eat everything. I remember going out to Chinese dinner. And I got to go to the bathroom six times. And I would eat, and then I'd go back and eat, and go back. And then the people we were with, they go, they said, are you sick? I said, oh, yeah, I have a little touch of blue. Yeah. Um, you know, the excuses and the lies that, that we tell ourselves. And I remember one time my daughter came over to the house, and, and I was in the bathroom, and I was really sick. And she said, Mom, they're going to find you dead in the toilet. And that really bothered me when she said that. I knew I needed help. I knew I needed a lot of help. And um, and I started putting weight on. So I thought, you know, the answer is, and it's in OA. So I came to OA 17 years ago, and I got myself a sponsor, and I worked the steps, and I stopped vomiting. And it wasn't easy at first because it just it came out of me so natural. Um, but it, I had a good sponsor, and she used to tell me, "I said I'm going to I'm going to get sick. I'm going to get sick." I'd call her on the phone, and she'd say, "No, I want you to go outside. I want you to look at the trees, sky. I want you to take a walk around the block. Get your mind up." I said, "But I'm solving." She goes, "It doesn't matter. Just swallow it. It will pass." And I believed her, and I did walk around the block. And I looked at the trees and the sky, and and I knew that day I was not going to vomit anymore. 
and um, I had to relearn to eat. I found I had picked up a lot of bad habits. I found if I ate sweet stuff, it was really easier to vomit because it then it wasn't bitter and ugly and tasty. And so I had to stop the sweets. Um, portion portion was really important because having my stomach done, I was supposed to eat only an ounce, but the stomach is very forgiving and it blows up like a balloon. And I was able to consume everything all over again. And I um, I knew I had to do something different. So I, whatever they suggested, I tried. So, and what kept me coming back, besides working the steps and getting a good sponsor, was the promises. It said we'll be relieved of our obsession. And I kept thinking about that. I love that because I... I'm relieved of the obsession today, not 100%. Sometimes it's 99, sometimes it's 89. But that is one of the promises if you work these steps. And, you know, they give us tools to help us and, um, and services, slimming and sharing and helping and working with others. It's, it's um, kept me coming back. And I have 17 years from... Uh, vomiting and um, I've been maintaining over 100 pound weight loss and uh, I have a wonderful wonderful life every day is an adventure and um, I'm just so grateful um, I um, guy you know I'm looking back I've come a long ways and I still have a long ways to go and I, uh, I'm just, uh, I'm glad I don't have to do those things today. But some of the things that I did, as uh, it's affected my health today. Um, I have tinnitus and the ringing in the ear, and that's part of that vomiting. It affected me. Everybody's sometimes different. Some people get the large glands here, or you know, they exhausted. They, you know, they. The reflex is gone. I remember I couldn't sleep laying down after I'd eaten a meal. I had to sit up for like two or three hours or sleep sitting up so my meal wouldn't come up. Um, but I, I, one of the things I say a lot is I want to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. And I take good care of myself today. I'm my best friend. Not all the time, but more than not. And... Um, you know, the one day at a time, it really works. And you got to keep coming back and share with others the fellowship. The fellowship is so important. I uh, I did other things besides the vomiting. I, I did the exolax abuse. I did the exercise. I remember going to the gym at 2, 3 in the morning and working out, going home at 6 and getting ready and go to work. And um, sometimes I wish I would exercise a little more. Uh but I, I know that um, there's always room for improvement, and I know they always say progress, not perfection. And when I call my sponsor and I tell her something, she goes, oh, you're not perfect, Marilyn? I just love that. She needs to remind me because I forget. And uh, I'm, uh, I just keep coming back. And, you know, it's really important to have a sponsor and take direction. I remember telling my sponsor, oh, 
Oh, I'm doing my best. She goes, yeah, your best is killing you, Marilyn. Why don't you take directions and do something different? And because she had so many people she was sponsoring, I will show her. I'll stick around and I'll do it. So whatever your reason to, you know, work with somebody, it doesn't matter as long as you do it. And um, just keep coming back. Thank you. Hi, my name is Mary, and I'm a recovering compulsive reader and also bulimic. Hi. And uh, hi, everybody. I'm really glad you're all here. Um, gosh, I got a lot from Katie and Marilyn's talk, and and I'm doing a comparing thing in my brain. <laughs> um, you know, I'm really glad uh, OA had this meeting today. I came to Overeaters Anonymous in 1984. And when I came to OA in 1984, it wasn't that common to find people with variations on the theme of being overweight. And um, so I welcome you if you are a binger and purger, a starver, a chewer and spitter outer, whatever. It doesn't make any difference. It's all the same kind of mentality of taking something on the outside of our body to make us feel better on the inside. And I remember when I first came to OA, um, it was I was terrified uh, because I believed sin was well. And I didn't want you to take that away from me. There's got to be a way of working around this and, and not have to gain weight, that kind of thing. And um, I in, entered the 12-step program through Alcoholics Anonymous also. Um, my primary addiction was always food. But what I found out was, in, um, and, and this was my alcohol story, that the lowest caloric value of alcoholic beverage is white wine. And if I drank white wine, then I wouldn't have to eat. Oh, I like the nods. It makes me feel better. And, you know, and, and alcohol just whipped me, whipped my butt. And it wasn't very long before it was the bottom with alcohol. And, uh, and I'm really grateful for that because if it wasn't for that, I would never have come to the 12-step programs or it would have taken me a lot longer to get here because you can, you can limp along here pretending you're something that you're not for a long time. But alcohol got me here, and I'm really grateful. And um, what happened for me is I would go to AA meetings, and I'd go, whoopee, I'm not drinking, but I'm binging before the meetings, binging when I get home. And I hated to hear, and I would pick the AA meetings by the kind of candy they serve, too. That was my cream, you know, cherry on the, the Sunday thing. No denial here. And uh, and you can't talk about stuff like, I felt I couldn't talk about stuff like that at AA. And I also, like Katie was saying, it was a secret. It was the deepest secret in my life. And I would eat planning on where the bathrooms were, how much fluids I could take, what's the easiest to throw up. I mean, and I, you know, I think, who was that person who thought that was okay? And as I look back now, but that was my life, all day, every day. And it was get up, eat breakfast, throw up, and go to work. What's the big deal? It was part of my life. Um, I'm five, I was five foot six. God only knows how tall I am now. And I weighed 75 to 85 pounds for a long time. I work in a healthcare setting. Nobody stopped me. And I didn't know how to say, I don't know, I, I think I need help. I didn't know how to do that either. So this game of denial went on and on and on and on. And I liked it. I liked it. What the greatest pleasure of my whole life was going around collecting a bunch of binge food and going home and having at it. That was entertainment. That was kind of a fun thing to do. You know, you say, what kind of life did you have? It was pretty empty. And if I kept the food and, and all that process going, I really didn't have to feel that. I just didn't have to feel that. Every once in a while, I'd hit one of those dark, loamy spots, and I'd go, what is wrong with you? You can't get close to anybody. Then they'll find out the secret. You know, that kind of thing. 
So what I ha- what what happened was I, I came to OA, kind of backed into OA because I couldn't stand my brain going to 12 steps, going to AA meetings, and hearing that stuff about honesty because I knew I wasn't honest. And uh, the first meeting I went to, I, I'm from Northern California, and I went to a meeting in Redondo Beach. Believe it or not, it was called Vomiters Anonymous. <laughs> I kid you not, it was in someone's house. And um, I got the name of it from a, a flight attendant at AA, a guy. He says, you need to go to this program. And I was, because um, I was more comfortable talking to the men than the women in AA, too. And uh, so I went to this meeting in this person's house, and um, I couldn't believe what these people were talking about. The secret. They were talking about it. They were talking about what happened, what they did, whatever. And I was like... Oh, my God. And I could say nothing. I just sat there. I remember sitting on the fireplace stoop. And I just cried. They said, you want to say something? No, I want to say anything. I didn't know what to do. I just cried. And um, I'd like to tell you that my life turned around. It got worse. Because it became very apparent to me that that's the way I manage my life is through food. So what would happen if I got upset? I didn't know what to do. Because I didn't know at that point there was a real 12-step in a program of recovery for food. And I, I would go back to that meeting, and I met my sponsor, who was 4 foot 11 and 9 years younger than I am, and it doesn't make any difference, you know, whatever, whatever person can help you. And I began my journey, slow journey, of being able to reach, uh, being able to, be able to face the terror of not being thin. That was my thing, was being thin. And um, I'm kind of an all-or-nothing thinker. I know that's, maybe you can't relate to that, but... And what I did was, um, I... Um, I got sober on January 6, 1984, and I came to O'Readers Anonymous in March that year, and I said, okay, July 6, 1984 is going to be my my absolute birthday. It is or it isn't. And I went home, and I pulled all the stuff out of the cupboards that I knew I wouldn't be eating if I were on a healthy food plant, and I brought all the work in grocery bags. And people go, oh, what are you doing? And I said, oh, just, just clean it out. And, and I started on July 6, 1984. And it was my goal was to keep everything I ate. And, uh, and it is not easy. I don't want anybody to, I think it is not easy. I work with people now. It's the hardest thing you do in your whole life. There is nothing like it. And you don't get a trophy for it. Nobody says, oh, good deal, you ate food and you didn't throw it up. I mean, it's ridiculous even to make that comment. But inside, it is a tremendous feeling inside when that happens. And then it happens again and it happens again. And then you learn the trick. And I believe a really healthy food plan is the ticket to freedom. If I didn't have a healthy food plan, because I didn't know how to eat. I didn't, I didn't understand the sensation of hunger. I didn't understand the sensation of, sensation of uh, satiety. I just didn't know. I mean, I had used food for so long or whatever. I just had no knowledge of it. So very, very slowly, the loving arms of the people in OA held me. And they didn't care how... Tense I was eating, and oh my God, we're going to a buffet? Great. You know, and I'd be trying to work stuff out. People didn't care. I, you know, when you go out with OA people, get everyone, get everyone, get everyone you want, whatever it works for you. And it was those people and their acceptance that, um, that made it for me. Um, what happened for me also, going to meetings and not being absent, it drove me crazy. I felt like I was sitting on top of a picket fence because I was in and I was out. I was in and I was going to meetings and binging before the meetings and binging after. And it was so uncomfortable. And then one night, someone had the audacity when we stood around with our hands in a circle, saying the Lord's Prayer, keep coming back. And then she looked at me and she said, you know, Mary, only you can control what you put in your mouth. 
She hurt my feelings. Doesn't she know I was very sensitive? I mean, did I need to hear the truth? Thank you. But there was, and I did, I was offended. I said, thank you. Thank you very much for your feedback. I wanted to kill her. But, you know, it just struck me. It just struck with me. You know, I could go to the meetings. I could read the literature. I could talk to talk. But bottom line, I was the only one that could stop shoving this stuff in my mouth. And she was right. And uh, and that, that really shook me up and said, okay, we, we're going to do this or we're not going to do this. Because I was kind of going nuts about the whole thing. And I didn't realize it was a spiritual program. I didn't realize it was about being fat and thin. I didn't realize it was about making a relationship with myself and learning how to make a relationship with you. I didn't know that's what it was all about. And I came to these programs because I had a problem with eating. I stay here because I want to have a sense of peace of mind. And I get a sense of peace of mind by working the steps, listening to other people, how they're working their lives right now, because life happens. And the food kind of takes care of itself. I did not believe that at first. I didn't believe that for a minute because you were tricking me. I knew you were. I knew that you, you know, I, I would listen to what you're saying. That might work for you because I had a lot of doubt that would ever work for me. You don't understand. I've been doing this for almost 20 years. You have no idea. I'm different. All that kind of stuff was going through my head. But the truth is I'm not so different. I'm really grateful I didn't die. I don't know why I didn't die. I should have died. I mean, I, I had, you know, blood levels that were, you know, they weren't real good. You know, I had potassium to two and walked around. I think the body is very adaptive. And it's a good thing, you know, sometimes we don't know how sick we are when we're that sick. And, you know, the body has a great rehabilitative process all of its own, and we can all, if we treat it right, it responds. And I'm really grateful for this program because it gave me a way, it gave me a life. It didn't give me a way to live, it gave me a life. I had no life before I got here. I lost a, a, my marriage, my relationships with my family. My relationships, period, were all phony because they were all based on this kind of, Whatever you wanted me to be, I would be it, and then I would just go home and binge about it kind of relationship, which are pretty false. And the sick part about it is I was one of those sick and proud, you know. It wasn't that bad. It was okay. That's what I would tell myself. But I learned differently in this program, and I'm really glad that we're all here today and that today OA has expanded to actually have a meeting for people that have other kinds of issues with food besides the garden variety compulsive overeating. And what I found out was I was a garden variety compulsive overeater and horribly dishonest at the same time with my way of handling things. So I'm really grateful we had this program here today, and thanks for listening to me. And could we have someone bring up the ASCIT basket? Is there anything in the ASCIT basket? Okay. Looks like we don't have any ASCIT basket questions. Is there anyone that might ask a question from the floor, and could you address it to whom you'd like to have answer the question? I know for me, I would I would call it being mentally ill, but I had the same thing um, about there was something powerful being about being so underweight and wiry and full of energy and all this kind of stuff like buzzing around and 
You know, it's interesting because we have people with cancer and AIDS that are also have kind of wasted, body wasting, that kind of thing. They have no energy at all. You get an anorexic man, we can just run around the world. Um, and, the, you know, there, there seemed to be this false sense of uh, power and control. And for me, it was a lot about control. I felt like I didn't have a lot of control in my life, and the way I could control was control my body size. And there was a certain amount of, if someone, you know, would say anything, I go, well, you're just jealous. You'd like to be 80 pounds, too, at five foot six, you know? And there also was pain on that side. I don't know about for you. Um, I remember one time my son, we were on vacation. He goes, you're not going to go swimming, are you? And I knew he didn't want me to put a swimming suit on because he was embarrassed of what I looked like. And that was just like, you know, grabbed my heart. That, like, broke my denial for about 30 seconds, and then I quickly recovered, you know, because denial, my denial was very, very thick. But I understand that kind of um, zest when, you know, and when, you know, when I first started in, because clinically I was anorexic, but I was never really a restrictor that much, it was Twiggy time. You know, I looked like Twiggy, woo you know, all I was arms, legs, and big eyes, because that's what Twiggy was. Um, so there was that kind of reinforcement going on, too. But you're absolutely right. And I still think if you look at magazines today, if you look at models today, there's a tremendous amount of, of this, our culture just pushes this thin, thin, thin thing. Thing to, thin to um, you know, I, I work in the field now, and it, it is alive and well. It is definitely alive and well. And, uh, and, I, and um, it's, it's with your high school, college age, but also with older women, people that are into their careers and that kind of thing where, and it was me true, appearance is it. You know, I came from a conditional loving family. What you did and what you looked like was what, how you felt lovability. And, I, you know, I, I see that still culturally that's kind of what we're putting out there, that appearance is it. And that goes along with the thinness. Probably too long on the answer, but thank you. Any other questions? Nirvana. control and one thing that helped me when I came into recovery was I said the same thing I was kind of horrified but why don't other people say anything about you know my disease which was so physically apparent and um, it was, he was actually a, a priest in recovery he was, he was a dear man and he, he said to me that denial is in the individual but it's also in the family and it's also in society and that helped me a lot and, you know, the chapter of the family afterward talks about how, you know, as a family, we're not well. And 
my mother's a compulsive overeater, and so that kind of sweep it under the carpet, let's all be dishonest, you know, the denial of, was certainly in my family and was certainly, you know, like you, you commented, it's in society with, you know, magazines and so on. So that's just the nature of the beast, I think. I'm just going to rephrase that a little bit. I forgot to do that before I put the tape. So the question has to do what constitutes healthy exercise. Okay, thank you. Well, for me, I think it's balance. And I know um, anything over two hours, over an hour is not balanced for me. And, um, and to be consistent. And I... Sometimes um, it's just balance for me. I don't know about other people. And um, I think, and the time, too. I mean, that's not normal to be exercising at 2 to 6 in the morning before you go to work that many hours. I mean, uh, so I hope that helps you. Jennifer, I'm a compulsive overeater and bulimic. Hey, okay. Um, I drove ten and a half hours to get here. I live in real northern California, <laughs> and uh, in hopes because uh, I've come to these for. I, I I came in 23 years ago when I was 16. My top weight was 285. I got gastric bypass surgery 14 years ago. I became about 40 pounds lighter than I am now because the doctor said, told me what, what I needed to eat and what not to eat. And one thing not to eat was that sugar-free chocolate pudding because I don't know what did I do. First thing I did was that. And it, and it came right up. And I thought, bingo, I found it. And um, after I got the, the astro bypass surgery, um, the people in OA, a woman cornered me and said, and it offended me. It hurt my feelings so bad. I, I was going to show them, and I stopped going, and I got so sick. And I did everything that I heard up here. I've been coming to the conventions for about six years, always coming to the bulimic meetings, praying this time 
that I would find somebody who had had gastric bypass surgery who became a bulimic afterwards. And I've waited all day for this meeting, and it was like I, it was like a little angel standing up here telling my story. And I've waited a long time to find somebody, and I know they're all out there. I'm just secluded way up there, and I haven't been able to find any. And so um, I'm leaving this convention with hopefully another phone number and um, a connection of this cunning, vast, and powerful disease because it is, it is so progressive. It is so progressive. It, it starts with the compulsive overeating for me, a compulsive eating, bulimia, the starving myself. It's everything, and it's compounded. And, and I want you, if you get a chance to notice in the little, in your little uh, brochures or whatever, those are pamphlets, I had an opportunity to be on the Region 2 board a couple years, and we didn't have a mission statement. And there was big discussions about bulimics and anorexics and compulsive overeaters. We really bugged some people that were in here because they don't understand that we actually eat probably more than them. We're just really good liars. And so uh, I rewrote it. And it took two sets of votes for them to vote in to have bulimic in there and anorexic and compulsive eater. And I don't know about, and I'm not saying this to toot my own horn at all. It's a matter of using my experience to help somebody else. Hopefully somebody will see that and go, wow, I am welcome here. It's not just for the compulsive overeater, period. So I, I know I've talked way too long, but thank you so much for all your shares. Thank you so much. I got something out of all of it. everybody. My name is Lynn. I'm a compulsive overeater and overexerciser. Hi. It's good to be here. And I actually was really looking forward to this workshop all day, too. And I, I fell asleep up in my room when I woke up. And I have to get down to get here. And um, I'm really excited. One of the things just recently that I heard at the World Business Conference was that they have now included in, in the definition of abstinence the term, you know, abstaining from compulsive eating and compulsive food uh, behaviors, and I was really, you know, that just really made me feel good. And when I first came into Overeaters Anonymous, um, I knew I was powerless over food. I hadn't really thought about how much I exercised, you know, as I wasn't well, you know, I didn't get the weight off with it, you know. And as I thought, well, that I just, you know, I I didn't realize when I first got here how much I ate, you know. I heard later someone said they were on the English Channel diet. They'd have to swim the English Channel to actually lose the weight, and that was my experience, you know, and. Um, and I, I stopped working out. I got into program and I started losing my weight, but I was I was exercising a lot. I was unemployed. I'd been smacked down by another disease, and, and so I was unemployed and kind of working my way up in program, losing weight, and I was still working out pretty hard, you know, every day. My knees were hurting, and I would work out even if I was in pain. And I think for me that's one of the things I have to keep in check. And uh, I was with my sis, and I sprained my ankle, I kind of just turned my ankle, and I remember falling to the ground, like getting the weight off it, and I knew that my mind was still, it was like, all oh, the weight's going to come back. I'm not going to be able to, I was limping around, and all I could think of was, I'm not going to be able to work out anymore, and that's the first time I ever realized, wow, you know, I'm a compulsive exerciser, too, you know, it's like, I, I want to get it all, I want to get rid of it through exercise, so I'm really grateful that you're all here, too, you know, I sometimes... 
you know, we all, it takes what it takes, and, you know, it's like sometimes I know people lost a lot of weight, or, you know, it's like sometimes it's like i got to qualify again. How much should I do? Or it's like, you know what, I'm here. As soon as I walked in this room, I was like, God, these are my people. I'm home. I'm home in Overeaters Anonymous. So if you're new, keep coming back. This is a beautiful place to be. So thank you all for sharing your experience. Thank you all. Um, I'm really glad that exercise was brought up. Um, I know a lot of us have experienced that, but I um, I was really into competitive sports when I was um, in high school, and that's also when my dieting started, when I started starving myself, and even after I started purging was, I think, uh, 16 maybe, 16 I think, um, and then... Uh, I, I would that, or, um, exercise a lot, like, you know, I mean, can relate going to gym at, like, just obscene hours. Um, I found a gym that I also, I immediately realized that not all 24-hour fitnesses are open 24 hours, which I was really upset about. So I found the one that was open 24 hours, and I'd go at just, you know, <clears throat> odd hours so that people wouldn't realize what I was doing because I, I wanted to do cardio for, you know, and just I wanted to do the weight, and I wanted to um work on this part of like toning today if it's been all of it and just you know I mean they usually say you should take breaks in between different parts of your body I was like no I gotta do it all today and again tomorrow and so I did that a lot um, throughout my purging and then also I wanted to share I um, let's see I stopped driving when I was about 20 which is part of another program um, so I have my license taken away and then uh, I had it taken away about, I think, a week before I turned 21, So, um, which in result ended up that I didn't drive for about a year. So I started to ride my bike a lot. And today I'm an avid cyclist, and I love riding my bike, and I, I know that I need to I need to watch what I'm doing, because that is my main, you know, transportation right now, but I also use it, use it as an excuse. Like, oh, I don't drive, so I have to ride my bike all the way to downtown Los Angeles, which I've done plenty of times. You know, I, I really have. And... um you know, that's, oh, I'm just, and riding when my knees were hurting. And I, and, um, I remember my knee, I, just, I think this was somewhat recently, I think last year, my knee was hurting a lot. And my first thought was like, oh my God, I'm going to get back because I can't ride my bike anymore. I can't do these 30, 40 mile, you know, which is obscene to begin with. Um, so I can completely relate to that. For me, now, I still do ride my bike too, but I think for me now, when I know it's too much is when I start to crave it. Like when I start to crave doing it, it's the first thing I think about in the morning. The same thing with food, you know, I have that experience too. When I start to crave the exercise to that point, that's when I know it's a problem and I have to watch it. Because it is, it is important to exercise and to, for all of us to be healthy, but I know when it's a craving, I need to, you know, it's maintenance at that point for me. So thank you. Let's thank our speakers. Thank you very much for coming today. Let's form a circle and we'll say this Wendy prayer. Thanks.